0: If uh, you've got your Bibles, let's open them. Open to Ecclesiastes chapter (coughs) 1, Ecclesiastes 1, and I will say if you missed Rob's introduction last week, I'm going to invite you to go watch it because he did an amazing job as usual. And, And it's important to know he gave us some lenses by which we look at this book of Ecclesiastes and... If you don't have those lens to look through and see this book, then uh, I will say this it'll confuse you, and it won't clarify life; it'll confuse the life of faith, so very important that we 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 stay up as we move through this book of Ecclesiastes Now um, I think speeding up here Someone has tricked me and set this where i will I' be exhausted by the time i I get to the end this this thing is on. Uh, it's on. It's on. Intensi- it's on. It's on a workout thing. Someone put it on a workout. I don't want it on a workout. I want it on nothing. My goodness. Anyways, we'll see if this uh, can can stay where it needs to be. There's a book published in 1978. This is the uh, this is the year that I graduated from high school. Um, it took it five years to get to the bestsellers list, and when it Eventually got there, it stayed there 10 years on the New York Times bestsellers list and um, broke all kinds of publishing records, uh, translated into 23 different uh, languages. Uh, I did not read the book until maybe the mid-80s, so I get around to this book in the mid-80s. Uh, I have never forgot the first sentence, nor the, the gist and the content of the first paragraph. I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can see it. Follow along as I read. He writes, life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we Truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters end quote that 's M. Scott Peck from his book, The Road: Less Travelled. as I engaged our text today, you all i i I used the quote and start here because I found what he says there is eerily similar to what the preacher says in the book of Ecclesiastes in our text today. And I'll put it this way. There are, in this section we'll be in, there are three great truths. Um, the preacher's going to say, these three truths are foundational to understanding life watch this, in a fallen body and on a fallen planet. And I'm going to warn you. Karthi um, said, I'm going to, you know, bring us back up. Well, I'm actually not, you know. Uh, the word is going to save the day, but it's going to save it in a way we didn't expect. So when I get to these three truths, it'll be a little bit later. I'm going to warn you now, they're truths that we, we resist, we deny, we diminish, we run from them. We don't want to accept them. And what the preacher's going to say is that when we do, we do so to our own harm, that it's foolish to deny these three great realities. All right, in your Bibles, we're going to start back at the beginning. Rob covered this. I'm going to hit it just quickly. Let's just start with chapter 1, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now, now, Rob explained this word Vanity is the idea of, uh, you know, you may have a translation that says futile, futility. Uh, it's this sense of uh, transient. You know, it's here, it's gone, it's forgotten. It doesn't last. And remember he sprayed the water bottle? If you were here, he sprayed the water, the mist, it's there, and then it's gone. Some of you uh, have a translation that says um, meaningless. Now, Rob and I talked about this, and, and, and we would say this. There's no one word that can, it, that can cover the whole of this word vanity, futility. There's no, you can't pick one word and get it all. But we would say, it's, it's not that life is just meaningless, okay? It's that life... Life is so transient. Um, it's, it's here, it's gone. It's, it's a sense not just that it's transient, but we'd say this. The, the, the preacher's going to say, you can't figure it out. So it's not just this meaninglessness, futility. It's like, you, you can't figure it out. You, you won't resolve the puzzles of life. Can't get your head around it. He'll use this term. You can't discover this stuff per se. And so, hold, we're going to hold that thought as we move through the text, and we're going to hold this tension. Like, well, does it? Does our life matter? Well, <laughs> in one sense, uh, there's a part of us. No, but clearly, he doesn't mean life doesn't matter at all. Because he'll talk about some things being better than others. So. We're going to continue in verse 3. We're going to hit it all the way to verse 18. Uh, Verse 3, I'm going to to describe and then I'm going to give an outline of the next section. Verse 3 is the anchor verse. Lord, what do you mean by it's the anchor verse? Well, the rest of the book, the preacher is going to be answering the question, in a sense, that he asked in verse 3. Now, I say this, he already answered it. He's going to be explaining. He's going to be defending, he's going to be presenting evidence to his answer. To what question? The question in verse 3. If you're in chapter 12 and you're confused, you're in chapter 6, what does he mean by this? Go back to verse 3 and read the question because he's presenting evidence to his answer. Look at it with me, verse 3. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does? Under the sun? There's the question. Now, the rest of the book, he's going to provide evidence for his answer. He's already given us an answer. What's, what's the answer that he's already given us? Hint, hint, verse 2. What's the answer to his question? He's already given it. I want you to say it out loud. His meaning is it's futile, it's beyond discovery, it's transient. This word advantage is interesting in that it's an economic term. So some of your translations say this, and this really gets to the heart of it. It's, um, the word is describing um, income. You know, you sell something, you get income, uh, you deduct the expenses, and you're left with what? Profit or a loss. So, So the question he's asking is, what is the... Profit to a life lived on the planet. What's the sur- when you take your life you, you, and you, you take away all that you've it's cost you to live your life? What comes out the bottom? What's the advantage? What's the surplus? What's the profit of your of your life? And and, and he says it's uh, vanity. Now, none of us like to hear that. None of us. The world is not going to teach us that. We're not raised to believe that. We want to be careful that we don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater again. That's why I come back to that word meaningless. Is it all meaningless? Well, no. You know, there's more to this word. And he's going to spend this, you know, we're going to spend the next, I think we figured it out this week, we're going to spend 21 weeks in Ecclesiastes. And all those weeks, we're really going to be Discovering what he says about his answer. Now, verses 4 through 18. This is our text for today, the rest of it. I'm going to break it into two parts. The first part is 4 through 11. I'm going to put it under the heading, Life is wearisome. 4 through 11, life is wearisome. And then verses 12 to 18, I'm going to put under this heading, Knowledge is painful. So, Carthy, here's my rescue. Life is wearisome. Knowledge is painful. (laughs) Have a good day, right? It's it's kind of that. Um, This is so important that we start here where he does and grasp it. Let's start with verses 4 through 11. Let me say this about it. Verses 4 through 11, scholars agree, it's a poem. And so in this poem, he's, he's very, uh, you know, he, he's an he, economy of words. And he also structures the poem so that graphically on paper, the poem itself is pointing to the main point. Now, I'm going to explain this in a moment. I want you to read it in your Bibles with me. Follow along and begin in verse 4. He writes, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Blowing toward the south and turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses, the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun." Is there anything of which one might say, see this? It's new. Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things and also of later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Now, I've got a slide again. I want to show you this because graphically the poem is in a structure that's called a chiasm, a chiastic structure. And it's taken from the Greek letter chi, an X. That's the Greek letter. It's an X. And when when, uh, the biblical authors wrote, sometimes they would use a chiastic structure, which in a sense, think of the X like this. the, 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 The structure goes like this, like that left side of an X. And the point of the, of the passage is right at the point. That's the point of it. So you see this passage. Notice it's parallel in its beginning and its end. So you look at verses, say verse 4, and, and the last verse, verse 11, verse 4 is A. You know, A here is generations come and go. And then verse 11, it says the same thing in parallel. There's no remembrance of people who were before or after us. See that? That's the same. And then go to B. You see, go go to the next phrase, B at the top end, verses 5 and 6. It's this repetitive circularity of nature. Go to B, down at verses 9 and 10. It says there's nothing new under the sun. Are you guys tracking with me? See how this goes from here, then these verses. And then it goes right to the very center, which is C. And it says the seas never full, nor are the eyes or ears. And then it says this phrase, everything is wearisome. So, what is the poet, the preacher? What's the point of this poem? I want you to say it out loud. What's the point of it? Right at the point is a phrase that says, "What every." Yeah, there you go. So there's there's his there's his emphasis on his poem. It's exhausting. It's tiring. It makes us pooped out. Right. He's saying that when all is said and done and you weigh out your life and subtract what you put in, your gain or reward is weariness. Now, he invites us to consider this. He's always giving evidence. And so he says, I want you to pay attention to generations and I want you to pay attention to nature. And I want you to notice, I want you to hear the, the cosmic rhythm in that poem. Just the like the metronome. Just boom, boom. As you, as you listen, he starts... One generation goes, another comes. The earth just keeps on spinning. Isn't that the truth? People come, people go, and the earth keeps on spinning. I sit in the park up here. Every time I teach at Franklin, I'll spend a couple hours up there going over my notes, having a quiet time, etc. And I sit in that park, and you, know, you sit there, and I look out on the little park right behind co-op. Everybody know where that is? And you go, you know, people died right here. They're, they're, I'm sure there's bodies somewhere underneath there. Do we think about that? People probably died on the ground we're on in the battle that happened. But you know, that was a long time ago. They come and go, and guess what? Uh, now we have church here. Now there's picnics up on there. You see what I'm saying? It's like people come and go. The earth is still here. It's just kind of doing its thing. He says, pay attention to nature. The sun, in a sense, he says it's running in circles to get back to the to the east where it rises. And what I mean by that is, when he says the sun hastens to the place that it began. Think about this. He's saying the sun, it rises in the east. It sets in the west. And then the word hastening is literally it pants. It's, it's panting as it runs through the darkness to come back up in the east. And set in the west. And it runs. And it's out of breath. But it gets where it started. And it rises in the east. And it's, and it's just over and over. Likewise, the wind. If that's east-west, the wind comes from the north. And then it turns and goes... C- comes from the north going south. And then it turns and it goes back north. It comes back down and it goes back and goes north. And it's always going back to where it began. Do you feel that? It's just... It's this. It's this. And then he says the rivers flow into the sea. But the sea is not filled. He's not... Most believe he's not, he's not describing that hydraulic cycle per se. His point is you look at a river and it's just always flowing. And we know that it's always flowing into the sea, but the sea is never full. And so what he's saying is the river flows into the sea and the sea is not full. And the river flows into the sea and the sea is not full. And the river flows into the sea and the sea is not full. They said it a thousand years ago. I can stand in my backyard right now and look at the Harpeth River and say the river flows into the sea and the sea is not full. <laughs> Nothing changes. It's, it's this idea that the world is always in motion. Can we say it that way? The world's always going somewhere, but it never gets anywhere. That's the idea. The world, it, 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 the sun is going someplace, but it always just ends up where it was. Now, when he thought deeply about this, all he could say is verse 8. There are no words to explain this. There's just no words to explain this. That that something that's going somewhere never gets anywhere. Some will argue, well, you know, we have progressed in a thousand years, in 200 years. We've made improvements to life. I mean, thank goodness for air conditioning right now, you know. Isn't that something new and... I want you to say he, he's not saying we don't invent things. You know, there's not some progression. What he's saying is, and by the way, if you ever wondered where the phrase came from, it came from Solomon. There's nothing new under the sun. You know, we've all said that. There's nothing new under the sun. Well, Solomon's saying it's true. Um, if, you, if you think about what we develop, you know, we, we, we would note... Whenever we create something new, it's really taking something that's been around a long time, reframing it, connecting it to something else, and then we say, look, we've invented this new thing, and it's not new. I mean, I didn't read the book, but I always scanned through it every time I was in Costco a couple years ago. The uh, Da Vinci book on his biography, and, and you look at some of the things that he invented hundreds of years ago, and today we think we invented them. I mean, we could pick a number of examples Think of it this way. When God spoke creation into being, the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that is in them, I I want you to know he didn't didn't put anything new in it since it began. So when we do discover something, you understand it's been there because God created all things. Does that make sense? There's nothing new that we do. And if you take it in a social realm even, anthropological, the study of man. You go, we're better people. I mean, we're, we're, we're more knowledgeable and we, we treat each other better today than they did back in the prehistoric days. Are you, really? You, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I don't mean to be silly on that, but I go, we think, we're, we, think we treat each other better, really? Hardly. There's nothing, y'all, there's nothing new under the sun. I read this and got tickled. Quote, the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect to their elders. So wrote Socrates, 500 years BC. <laughs> B.C., you know, uh, life is wearisome. And knowledge is painful. This is what Carthy read earlier. I'm not going to read it for sake of time. She read verses 12 to 18. The preacher is saying, I'm the king of Israel. And what he's trying to say there is, I, and we believe it's Solomon, or it's, it's someone who's embodying Solomon as a third-person narrator that comes in and out of the story. Solomon says, I'm the, I'm, I'm the most qualified to figure this out. I, I, because I'm, I'm the king, and, and what he's saying is, think about this, and especially in that day, he, he has virtually unlimited resources, virtually uh, unlimited th- authority. If he wants to know something, he says the word, someone's got to go find it. Do you see what I'm saying? He, it, and don't forget, God answered his prayer. Do you remember when God said, what would you pray, and what did Solomon ask for? Tell me. When, when, y'all, and God answered his prayer. I'm telling you, Solomon... I don't think this would be wrong to say he's the most brilliant human being who ever walked the planet there's there's no one today there's no prodigy there's there's no one that could match Solomon's wisdom that God had given him so he's the most qualified to study this and when he says he's going to go after it he says I studied it or I went after it with my mind Do you notice he says three times in here with my mind with my mind with my mind You know what the literal word is? And this is in your Bible, if you've got one with a center column. But the literal word is, I went after it with my heart. He doesn't say, it's not mine. That's not the word. He says, I went after it with my heart. Well, what what does it mean he went after it with our heart? Y'all, we're going to talk a lot about this. And I assure you, those men and women standing on this stage earlier, they just spent two years getting at their heart. Because it's about whole heart. Change—that's what the gospel does, and so we'll explain this further. But let me say, when Solomon says, "You know, I set my heart to learn these things," he's saying, "Yes, I set my mind because because the heart's the center of the person's being, and and the heart includes the intellect, my mind. I'm going to use my mind." And, and yes, I'm going to use my will. I, the heart chooses, and I'll choose to do this, but never forget this. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it's speaking of our mind and our will. Yes, it's also speaking of our affections, our our feelings, our emotions. And it's also speaking of our desires and longings. So the heart in the Bible is my Thinking, my feeling, my longing and desires, and the choices I make, my volition. That's the heart. So Solomon says, I put my whole being into this. And he could. In other words, I'm not just going to write a paper on it. I'm going to go do these things. I'm going to feel these things. I'm going to experience, no, no offense on this, Lust to the 10th power. I'm going to experience wisdom to the 10th power, you see. He's going to do it all. And when he does, he says that at the end of it, it's vanity. And then he adds this phrase. He says, I did it all, and I'm going to tell you, it's striving after when. You feel the, like, that you can't grab it? You feel it? I remember when we got uh, Sally's cat. We have a cat named Ray. And uh, I put it off for years. I've told that story. But we got a cat named Ray. And when we got the cat named Ray. We had one of those little laser pointers. You know. You know where this is going. So we, we had that little thing that puts a little laser on the ground, like a little bug or something. And to watch that cat go after it, you just get tickled. Well, we also have a dog named Pearl. And pearls just as bad. So now we got a dog and a cat chasing a laser that they can't grab. Oh, it's there! It's not. Where'd it go? It's there! No, it's not. Where it It's just like and you just get tickled watching them what? Chase the wind. It's so funny to watch pets chase the wind. And it is so sad to watch people chase the wind. He ends by telling us why knowledge is painful. Look at verse 18. I will read it. Because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. What does that mean? Well, if your kids ever come to you and say, Mom and Dad, I want you to read this verse... I know I've got homework tonight, but it's just going to bring me grief and pain. <laughs> um, you go, no, that's out of context. This is not what that verse means. Uh, it's talking not about your education. It's talking about your life. I've often thought about this, and this is rather weighty, and I don't want to be sensitive when I say it, but um, whether I've uh, officiated or attended a funeral, it's just an observation in, that, that I would make that when there are young children at a funeral, I mean very young, it, it's interesting how oblivious they are to what's happening. In fact, my observation would be when there are young kids at a funeral, for them it's rather, can I say it's fun? Um, there's food. Other than having to be quiet for a little bit, they have adults doting on them constantly constantly. The child may not know that mom's never coming home. child may not know that dad's gone. The child may not know that his brother or his sister or her brother or sister will never sleep in their... You know know what I'm saying? They're they're, they're children. They don't know. But I'm going to tell you something. For those of us who are adults and we've experienced life, can I tell you what We feel... Grief and pain. Why? Because we know, you see. An in, increase in knowledge and experience, it's like, it's like that. the pain and grief on a, on a trend line just grow over time where when you're a child, surely it's a mark of God's grace that they don't get it. It's so kind of God. But as you and I grow over time, the longer we live, I'm going to tell you, death and dying and pain and hurt, we feel it like boom. We have this huge fall when we feel it. That's the reality that Solomon is giving us. Life is wearisome, knowledge is painful. Now, I said there are three great truths in this passage. Truths that are difficult for us, we run from, we, we don't want to accept them. I'm going to give you those three truths right now. I'll say them a couple times, so don't, don't feel bad you don't get it written down. You know, life is wearisome, knowledge is painful. He's laying the foundation, the evidence for his, his word to say, you know, life is futile, it's vanity, because of these three, tr- these three truths. There's something. Wrong with everything. Now think about it life on a fallen planet, life in a fallen body. There's something wrong with everything. Second, there's always something missing. There's something wrong with everything. There's always something missing. Third, you cannot do anything about it. There's something wrong with everything. There's always something missing and I I can't do anything about it. Three great truths. It's verse 8. You know when he says, what's crooked can't be straightened. Let me tell you something. Since the fall you and I and the planet itself and everything in it is bent and you cannot straighten it. And since the fall, there is always something missing, lacking, and you cannot fill it up. And it's only when we truly understand and accept, see, this is where I'm going back. You know, he said life is difficult, but when you, when you accept it, You begin to transcend it. I'm going to say this. When you accept these realities from Solomon, um, you you begin to transcend them. You begin to live beyond them. I want you to know this, okay? Be careful here, and I want to walk a very fine line. It's not that they disappear, okay? And I wouldn't go as far as peck to say, you know, they don't even matter. It's, It's not that in a biblical sense. It's not like those three truths, oh, oh. Okay, I'm going to trust Christ. So now everything's going to. There's never going to be a lack, and everything's right. No, 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 no. I'm not saying they go away. Okay, I'm saying there's a sense to which we they're real, but we, we we're able to put them somewhere and go. That's true. And yet in Christ, I can transcend and live above them. Here's what I'm trying to say. Um, here's what happens when we accept these things as just as our reality, which is what the Bible says they are. We get off the treadmill. Of living a life trying to make right what is wrong. When we accept that you know there's something wrong with everything, we're gonna get off the treadmill. When we live on the treadmill trying to make everything right, we're gonna get off and go, I can't, I can't do that. Every- there's something wrong with everything, I can't fix it. We get off the treadmill of trying to fill up what's lacking, it's lacking. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this satisfied, and no, then we get off of it and we go, you know. There's something lacking. There's something missing in everything. And we get off the treadmill. Because we know I can't fix it. I can't fill it. Now, if you don't believe those, things, those three things are true, let me ask you to do a, a thought experiment with me, okay? Because I, I, get, I, I get it. We resist it. Let's take the happiest moments in life, at least some of them, for, for, for most human beings at some level. You know, let's just take, um, you, you are, uh, you know, you, there's a birth in the family, w- wonderful, or someone comes to faith, that's fantastic. Um, you get a promotion, great. Uh, you, you have a, fr- you found a friend and a friend for life, that's awesome, it's so, it's magical almost, it's you got engaged. Oh, you're engaged. You, know, you get married. It's amazing, whatever it may be. You, um, you, know, you get an inheritance, you know, and, and you go, oh my gosh, our, our, our financial worries. Let's take those moments, okay? Just, I want you to hold those moments because they're real. But I want you to answer this, not out loud, but I want you to answer it brutally honest. Would you tell me that even in those amazing moments, There was not something wrong somewhere in your world. and I'm not talking about in the Middle East. I'm talking about in your life. Would you tell me even in the joy of that amazing moment that you didn't feel this sense of, there's still something missing. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like those truths will taint every moment in life. And in a sense, when we accept it, we don't, they don't taint it as much because we go, this is the reality of life in a fallen body on a fallen planet. If you still don't believe me, you tell me, have you ever been to a family gathering? And you would say, Everything's, everything in the world's right. And there's nothing missing here. And there's nothing I want to fix. Oh, my word. You know, we would go, no. And that's, that's, that's the truth. That's the reality. You might say, "Lord, you are such a pessimist. And I would go, well, you know, I actually am. I mean, I kind of live on that spectrum, so that's true. But I would say, I I really believe that I'm trying to present to you what Solomon is saying. So it's not me. I I do believe this is God's word to us. See, to to deny those three three realities is to deny what I believe God is clearly saying in this strange book. And it's to live life, can I say this? It's to live your life on a treadmill. Why did I spend the whole message walking on a treadmill? Not just to get a chuckle out of you, I mean that. But for this point in particular. The treadmill says I walked 1.1 mile. And the reality is, I've gone nowhere. That's the point. That's why I did that whole thing so you'd hear that. Because when you and I refuse those realities that they're true, then you will seek the good life. And you'll start trudging. And you'll live your life like this where you are going, I got to fill up what's lacking. I need more money. We need to move. Let's go get new friends. Something's wrong. let's go fix. And you'll go through life going, you know there's something wrong with everything, but I can fix it, baby. Not it won't be it won't feel like this when. And then when the kids are gone and we're I know when I get married I, I'm going to work harder so. Now you can spend your whole life on this treadmill. And at the end of it the treadmill I say, you know you live 20 years, you live 10, you live 50. You may have the treadmill goes, man, you lived 99 years. But if you lived it all on the treadmill, here's what I want you to know. It says you've lived 99 years. You've gone nowhere. You've gone nowhere. That's the sobering reality. We get off the treadmill when we recognize what I cannot do God has done for me in Christ. This is the gospel. Now, I want to be careful, and Robin, I want to be careful. Because I don't, I want to be careful, because a preacher doesn't do this, and we don't want to, to say, get off the life and trust, get off the treadmill, and when you trust Christ, it's going to be all, everything's going to be fine. That's not what the preacher says. That's why I said it's not that those three realities are now gone, because I'm in Christ. But What happens? Um, I now know there's something wrong with everything but Jesus has come to set all things right. It's not going to be fully set right today but I can live with that hope and that hope is real and that hope makes a difference in my life today. And I know this, that Jesus has come to fill what's lacking in my soul, that God-shaped vacuum that Pascal talks about. We're all made to be in relationship with God. And so Jesus has come to satisfy and fill that. Now, I'm not always going to be full in the sense of I'm going to experience that fully in life now because I'm fallen on a fallen planet. But I know that there will come a day when it will be fully, finally, perfectly set. And I'm telling you, there's a day when, you know what? Everything will be not just right, righteous everything and there will be no lack that's that's our future i'm just telling you though but however long you live on this planet we'll live with a lack and we will live everything's not right but we will live with the hope and the knowledge by which we know it will one day be and we bring that hope right back here to our present, such that you can live today i assure you you will not get through today and not have come to your mind Man, that was an awesome lunch. We had such a good time. But, (laughs) because there's something wrong with everything. And you'll go to bed tonight and you'll go, you know, this is going to be a good day tomorrow because I'm doing this and that or whatever. you. But then you'll be reminded. And there's still something missing. But you won't lose hope because of your relationship with Christ. Does this make sense? So, with that said, We are very big here at Fellowship about applying what we hear and learn because we know the Bible is not meant to inform us but to change us and so I'm going to invite you to do something and I'm going to tell you this is not for everyone so there's no application that fits everyone perfect but I'm going to offer this to some of us just to some of us. Maybe today you just sense the Lord saying i got to get off the treadmill because I'm telling you I'm a Christian and I get on the treadmill at times and sometimes I get on it for seasons and I just need to be woken up and some of you today maybe were woken up by the Spirit, not by me, and you're just going, I'm getting off that treadmill. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to remind yourself of that. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. Don't do it now. If you just in your heart go, I think the Spirit's inviting me to get off the treadmill. I just want you to stand where you are. If you're seated and remain seated, that doesn't mean you got off the, you're not getting off the treadmill. It just means you feel like I can stay seated because I'm off the treadmill or I'm, I don't feel the Lord lead me in that way. So it's okay. I'm just doing this for the few that may want to stand. Sometimes we need to, we need to remind ourselves. So we need to move our body and just go. I'm driving a stake in the ground. I'm getting off the treadmill. I don't even know what it means. I don't even know what it's going to entail. Call of me to do. That's okay. You just say I'm I, I, I'm choosing to get off the treadmill. So everybody with me. So you can stay seated. You don't have to stand. But if you want to, and I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes either. So this makes it even harder. <laughs> everybody, close your eyes. Don't look around. And no. <laughs> I want you to do it if you feel the Lord leading. If you feel like you need to step off the treadmill, just stand where you are and remain standing. Then I'm going to pray and then we're going to dismiss. I'll invite you to do that now. If you feel that, you sense that, then just stand right where you are. Just stand there. Just stand there. That's all you got to do. a big deal to stand up in a room. And those who stand, I want you to mark it. I want you to know I'm, I'm, This was this was for me. And again, those of you seated, you could be standing in your heart. That's totally fine. I want everybody to stand as I pray over you. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. This strange book of Ecclesiastes that knocks the wind out of us at one at one level and at the same time just is a a shot of oxygen for those who stood those who remain seated for all of us in the room I pray that we might know what it means for us individually to get off the treadmill and to find life in you and you alone Lord may we be a church that helps other people get off the treadmill and find life in you. This is our deep desire. This is our longing and our prayer. And we believe it is your will. And so we, we trust we're in the jet stream of, of your will as we take those steps. In Christ's name, amen. And God bless. You're dismissed.